And this week, we're looking at friendship. So a question, a serious question I want to ask you this morning is, this is, how many friends do you have on Facebook? Um, I guess you're all kind of wondering how many I have. I checked last night. 1,338. I mean, I don't know what that means to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, But what does that even mean? I mean, I may occasionally be tagged or nudged or poked or PM'd or or they might post something on my wall, but it doesn't really mean we have a relationship at all. And it kind of explains the paradox of why in our culture we can be so connected and yet feel so lonely all at the same time. Because the connection really often in social media is false, isn't it? It's not really that I have 1,000 friends, like not at all, not even close. Um, They're not really my friends. And so this week we'll be exploring what real friendship is all about. And so we're going to be looking at John chapter 15. Um, I'm going to read from verse 13 through to 15. We're going to base a big section of what we do on this passage. But we're going to be looking at the Bible as a whole. But a good place to start is here in John chapter 15, verse 13. One I read and then... We'll pray. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we come before your word, your holy word. And we ask you, Lord, would you help us to understand it? Lord, Would you speak this morning through me, your servant, Lord? Would you give me clarity? Would you give me faithfulness to your word? May you help me to explain your word clearly to this church, my favorite church. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what does it mean to be a friend? Uh, In Greek, the word is phylos. It means something like a really intimate relationship, a close relationship. In Greek, the word, uh, in Hebrew, sorry, the word is a bit more flexible. It's raya. It means kind of, well, it has several meanings depending on the context, but it means friendship. It also means next door neighbor. It's something to be close. It's an acquaintance. It's a, it's a more flexible word. C.S. Lewis, he, he's really brilliant on this. He's got a great essay on friendship and He writes this, he writes the following, he says, Friendship arises out of mere companionship when two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some insight or interest or even taste which the others do not share and which till that moment each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. It's that moment when when you suddenly realise, What? You too? You, You think that too? You're the same as me? We have this common thing, this thing that we share together. It's been described that 
love is two people looking at each other, where friendship is two people looking ahead together in the same direction. This sharing of values, this common interests or insights or way of looking at the world. People who are just looking for friends, similarly, never seem to find them, do they? I mean, you know that, that person who's just all they want is friends. And, and you might have some passion, something you're excited about, and you say, look, you know, look at this thing, I love it, you know, I'm so passionate about it, it's great, isn't it? Look at it, and they'll say to you, no, I'm not really interested now, I just want to be a friend. It doesn't work, does it? People like that, it's just, it's just not quite right, they've missed it. But there's some challenges when it comes to friendship in our culture, isn't there? There's challenges. I mean, firstly, we're time poor. We have such little time. We work long hours. We travel long hours. We don't have much time. Secondly, we're socially mobile, so we move. I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this before. You make a friendship with someone, they move on. They change departments in the office you're working in. They change churches. They move locations. We're socially mobile. We can move around as we want. And the second thing is we don't actually really, as a culture, value friendship that much, actually. So in the squeeze, in the pressure, it slips out. What do I mean by this? Well, in our culture, our liberal, individualistic society, actually, we primarily value romantic relationships, erotic Relationships. That's what we primarily value. And the best example I could think about it is, is what's this month's uh, cover for New Idea magazine all about? Is it about Andy Lee's new, new best friend? It's not. It's about who Andy Lee is sleeping with. Because that's what we value. That's what we care about. Romantic relationships. I mean, we wouldn't exist without romantic relationships. So we value them. We value the... Secondly, work, boss, client, colleague relationship because we want to progress in our, in our careers and in our jobs. We value family. We want our children to do well. And for lots of the men, we value romantic relationships so we value our family as well because we, we care about our relationship with our wives. And friendship, amidst it all, gets squeezed. It gets squeezed out because there's no obvious benefit to us, is there? Interestingly, uh, this week as I was preparing for this message, I, wrote, uh, I read an article from uh, just last month in The Age. Uh, Mickey Perkins, the author, uh, in an article entitled Lonely Men Lose Friends When Life Gets Busy, commenting on a recent study, the article goes on to ex- uh, describe how 1.1 million men in Australia have few or no social connections whatsoever outside their immediate family. 1.1 million men. The survey goes on to say that two-thirds of men in the survey described that they've lost more friends than they'd like in the past few years. It found that the peak time for isolation was the age group between 35 and 54 when most men are most busy with their careers and with their families. 40% of people in the survey were dissatisfied with the quality of their friendships. Well, you might be sitting here this morning, you're not a Christian, you're not usually someone who would come to church. I just want to say, I mean, it should be obvious to us that friendship is something that affects us all and something that in our society we all find difficult. This morning, I really want to unpack for us what does the Bible say? What does the Bible teach about friendship? Something so precious according to Scripture and yet something that in our culture, in our society gets squeezed out and can be put as a low priority. 
This morning's message is, as we've heard, don't waste your friendship. And I have three points for those who take notes. Uh, The first point this morning is our foundation. Secondly, our formation. And lastly, our friendships. Three points, one hope. And my hope for us this morning is that that we would position ourselves to be Christ-exalted friends. That we would find a way of positioning ourselves in order to be a Christ-exalting friend. That's really what I hope for us this morning. Well, point one, our foundation. The first thing I want to say as we think about what it means in the Bible to be a friend is that we worship a God who is a friendship. You know, in Mark chapter 1, verse 11, Jesus is at his baptism with John the Baptist. And as Jesus is baptized, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, descends upon him like a dove, and a voice comes from heaven, the voice of the Father, and it says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? It's a beautiful picture because it reveals something to us of what our God is like. Our God is a holy trinity. Our God is three persons in one. A Father who loves his Son through the Holy Spirit. A Father loving the Son. A Son loving the Father. A Spirit helping the Son love the Father and the Father love the Son. Three persons. One God. A God who is at his deepest level a friendship. Who delights equally to draw other people into his friendship as well. And so as we read at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, we read about the Spirit hovering over the waters as God creates the heavens and the earth. And we read and we learn as we read all of Scripture that the God who creates the earth is a God who is at heart a friendship, a father who loves his son through his spirit, creating the earth. And just imagine it. Picture the beginning. Nothing at all. Pure darkness. And God speaks his word and and the world is born. Then he creates men and women and he walks with them. Scripture says he walks with them. Let me read you a passage from Genesis chapter 3. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. You know, in Hebrew poetry, the idea of walking with God, the idea of walking with someone, it means intimate relationship. It means... Friendship. To walk with someone is to be a friend. Is to be someone close to someone. And here is God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Let's read on. Where is the man and woman? And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Right back in the very beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth by the word of his mouth. He creates it good. He creates it because he is a God who is a friendship, longing to draw other people into friendship with God, into relationship with God. And already by chapter 3 of Genesis, the man and woman turning their back on God are not walking with God, 
but hiding themselves from God. And so begins the story of broken relationship with God. The picture is of a people who are out of step with God, who are living in hiding. And though there are a few exceptions along the way, like Enoch and Noah and Moses, increasingly, increasingly in the Bible, the story is of exploitation and of wickedness and of evil and of people not walking in step with God, but people hiding from God. In fact, we can understand all of the history in the Bible as God's work to restore friendship, relationship with his people. Not being satisfied with being out of relationship with his people, but looking to restore friendship through king after king, through messengers, through prophets, until finally in fulfillment of all of his prophecies throughout scripture in the coming of his son, our Lord and Saviour Jesus. God himself. And so we turn to our passage in John chapter 15 and we meet Jesus on the night before his betrayal. John uh, covers the night before Jesus' betrayal really over three chapters from chapter 15 through to chapter 17. And Jesus is with his disciples and he's really he's trying to explain to them what his death will purchase for them. He's trying to explain to them what the most important thing is for him about how His death on that cross is going to buy for them a relationship once more with God. Earlier, just before our passage, Jesus has been explaining about how He's the vine and they're the branches and and they can't really do anything except for Jesus in and through working through them. And, And so we get to our passage, John chapter 15. I'm going to read some of the verses before verse 9. Jesus says, as He's with His disciples, the night before He's going to be betrayed and murdered. Jesus says to the disciples, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. He's saying, I've modelled the way I'm loving you upon my relationship with my Father, my friendship with my Father. And so abide in my love. Imitate the relationship I have with my Father, Jesus says. Well, well, how do we do that? How is that that possible? Read verse 10. He says, If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So Jesus is saying, keep my commandments and, and, and you'll abide in my love. You'll, you'll be able to imitate that relationship I have with my Father. Well, well what is your commandment, Jesus? What, 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 do we should, what should we do? I mean, what, what, what does it mean to abide in your love? Read verse 12. He tells us, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is saying, my, my friendship My intimate relationship with my Father is to be my model for your friendships. And Jesus doesn't just say this to us as a suggestion or something that, you know, if you like, you can do this. Jesus says, no, this is my commandment to you guys. This is my instruction to you guys. This is what I want you to do. I want you to to imitate my relationship with my Father. Let's read on. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus says, I'm going to show you the greatest love the world has ever seen. You know, friends, At this point, 
all comparisons of love completely fade into grey. The greatest examples we can think of, every example of, of sacrifice we have seen at this point fades into grey. God himself lays down his life for his friends. I'm going to lay it down for you, Jesus says. You know, a few chapters earlier in John chapter 17, Jesus puts it this way, 10:17, Jesus puts it this way. He says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life and I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Jesus says, this is the greatest example of love. No one has love like this. You know, friends, we, I mean, we understand something of guilt, don't we? I mean, we, we understand guilty people who, who deserve to be punished, don't we? We understand Ivan Malats of this world who, who deserve to be locked away in prison forever, who deserve punishment for atrocious crimes. And yet the message of Scripture is that our hiding from God, our turning back on the one who spoke the world into existence is treacherous, is, is high treason, and, and we stand guilty before Him. We stand hiding from Him, not walking in friendship with Him, hiding from Him and are worthy of death and death eternal. And yet God didn't leave us isolated from Him as His enemies. God sends His Son Jesus, who isn't forced to die, who isn't manipulated into dying, but voluntarily lays down his life for us. For us, hear this, his friends. Hear that? His friends. Jesus describes you and me as his friends. Isn't that amazing? Read these words here, John 15, 14. These are some of the most precious words in all of Scripture. Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command. No no longer do do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. I have called you my friends, he says to his disciples. This This is amazing. I mean... Have you ever just pause? Have you ever met someone who's just like a real name dropper who loves to just drop names and let you know about all who their friends are? I mean, I get I work in a uh, hospital in the eastern suburbs, and we get this all the time. You know, like, oh yes, I remember I was with the great John Lewison, and 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 just constantly dropping friends. And why do they do that? It's because the prestige of their friends somehow becomes prestigious to them, and it's to make themselves look a bit better and and to make themselves look a bit greater. I mean, I'm guilty of this myself personally, but let's pause and just think about consider this for just a moment consider that the god of the universe is our friend 
He is our friend. I mean, part of me would, would just be satisfied with saying, yeah, once in passing I met God. But he goes a step further. He says, if you abide in my love, you are my friends. Isn't that amazing? I mean, just think about my relationship with Charlotte, my wife. We've been married not even two months, and yet, you know, I feel like I I know her probably better than anyone. You know, I can tell... uh, almost sometimes what she's thinking. I know when she's tired. And we have this real close relationship as husband and wife. And, and we know each other so well. She's such a she's my closest friend. And yet the maker of this whole earth, everything that is, is through him, would describe you and me as his friends. intimate relationship with God himself. But it's not just that we're friends as though some equal friends. When we look to the gospel and the gospels, we see that Jesus' friends were not just any old people, but undeserving sinners. I mean, that was the accusation they they leveled at Jesus. He's a friend of sinners. He's a friend of tax collectors and prostitutes and leopards and uh, lepers and drunkards not leopards <laughs> lepers he's a friend of sinners he's a friend of sinners Jesus extends grace and pursues friendship with those who least deserve it isn't that amazing that he would extend grace to not the people that seem like they have their lives together, not the high and noble of society as though, you know, they are people of his status that he could he could dwell with. No, I, I mean, they wouldn't even be, but he extends himself to the lowest of the low, to sinners, to people who have made a mess of their lives, like you and like me. Our foundation is the friendship we have with God through Jesus, a friendship that we do not deserve. Well, point one, our foundation. Point two, our formation. You know, as modern people in our society, we like to believe that we are the masters of our own destiny, that we can be whoever we want to be, that we can, you know, choose which way we're going to live, and we're completely independent and can be just the person we want. Friends, I just want to say that is absolute rubbish. You are not whoever you want to be. Is a complete lie. You are formed firstly as a child by your family, and then according to scripture, you are later in your later years formed by your friends. You are formed by the community around you. And we see this, this sort of way of thinking like play out so often, you know, in for instance, in missional dating, you know, flirt and convert, or what I like to call willful disobedience where we think that you know we can we can just like by you know my own strength of my own character somehow I can date a non-believer and through just persuasion and things I won't be affected at all by that intimate relationship but I could lead that person to trust in Christ it's that same way of thinking it's like my most intimate relationship with someone wouldn't affect me at all of course it wouldn't affect me and my faith 
We see it in people that are not committed to church whatsoever. It's, it's you know, I can be my own guy in the world. You know, the world out there, it's like an amoral vacuum. It doesn't have any influence on my life at all. I'm completely independent. I can be a faithful Christian. I don't need other people to help me. Not at all. In not forming Christian friends and friendships, we can think, you know, it's like I can carve my own way through life. I'll be fine. We believe this way of thinking. Well, Proverbs 13.20 teaches us otherwise. The writer of Proverbs says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. That is, will become a fool. If we walk with the wise, we become wise. If we walk with fools, we become like a fool. We are shaped by our friendships. The Bible teaches us as we look at scripture that who you spend your time with, who your friends are, will shape who you become. Your primary relationships, if they're primarily influenced by people that are foolish, you will become foolish. We are shaped by our friendships in context of community. And the Bible, for us as Christians, assumes that we will be part of a Christian community, part of a church. You know, all of the letters in the New Testament, uh, for the most part, are addressed to churches. We've got the letter to the Ephesians, to churches in Ephesus, and Corinth, and Philippi, and Rome, and Galatia, and Colossae. The book of Revelation is addressed to churches throughout Asia. Timothy is a pastor. Titus is an elder. The context of the local church, or the context of the New Testament, is the local church. More than that, the Bible assumes that in all the one another's that it exhorts us to do. I mean, if you just pick one chapter of one book, say Romans chapter 12, look what you find. You, you see, be joined to one another, be devoted to one another, honour one another, rejoice with one another, weep with one another, live in harmony with one another. One chapter from one book full of one another's, the context, the assumption of the New Testament is community is that we walk out our lives, we live out our lives with friends in the context of community. Well, why does the Bible assume we'll be part of community? Well, there's a few reasons. The first reason is that God is building a Christ-like community for himself, using us. Ephesians 2, Paul writes the following uh, from verse 19. He says to us, he says, So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Here's this people who were absolute strangers and aliens. They didn't know each other. They weren't or Jews or anything like that. They, they were just strangers. And and here Paul is writing that God is pulling them together into a family. More than that, he's pulling them together into God's very own household. God's family. Being held together by Jesus Christ at the very centre. But it's more than just a building being held together. It's a living and growing building. A living and growing temple of God. And we're changed. The picture is one of the building being changed and moulded and shaped as we partake. God is building a people and he's growing them together. That's the 
first reason why we should be part of the Christian community, why the Bible assumes we are part. There's more. The second reason is because we need Christian friends. We, we, we need to be part of community. We need Christian friends, firstly, to help us keep, or help keep us from falling away. The author to the letter, in the letter of the Hebrews writes the following. He says in Hebrews 3.12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, why? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How do we guard against an evil, unbelieving heart? Well, we're called to exhort one another. We're called to encourage one another. The word is literally to be, to call someone to your side. To encourage them as though you're standing beside them saying, keep going, keep on, keep it up. You can keep doing this, keep on, no worries. You trust in Christ, keep walking ahead. Instill them with courage. We're called to instill one another with courage. Why? What's the purpose in all? To prevent us from being hardened. It's a, it's a word picture. It's a picture about our hearts. It's how we can become hardened. They can become hard. They can become something that is resistant to change. Because sin is deceitful. The deceitfulness of sin. Sin de- deceives us. It justifies our actions. It says our actions are really not that bad at all. You know, it's so easy to be deceived by sin and sinful ways of thinking. I was just thinking about, even just this last week, I was thinking about an example. And um, Charlotte and I were shopping for like a, a white stand to um, put like, we're trying to get a, a herb garden going in our, in our balcony. And we bought this white stand and apparently it was the last box. So we grabbed this box and they scanned the outside of the box and we took it home. And I thought, oh, it feels kind of heavy. Um, but I thought, oh, it's, it's no worries. And I took it home, we got it home and opened it up. And inside this box is multiple, two stands. Instead of one, they're each individually tagged as $40 each uh, from this shop that we'd purchased them at. And I began thinking, well, what should I do? Um, now, it might seem obvious to you what the honest thing to do is, is to take one right back. But I began to think, well, it was in a box and they scanned the outside of the box and we took it through and, you know, so... I guess it's legit, it's mine, right? Like, you know, the, the guy said there's the last one and so there's no problem, right? You see how we begin to, like, justify things and convince things? So we called them up and, and decided, well, we'll ask them what we should do. And um, we called up the guy and said, you know, well, uh, what should we do? And he's like, take it back. You know, like, obvious, sir, like, you didn't pay for two. Um, but we can begin to justify our own actions because sin is deceitful, isn't it? We get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We get lied to by the devil and by ourselves and our own wicked desires. And so we need friends to keep us from falling away. Secondly, we need Christian friends to provoke us to love and good works. Hebrews 10, 23-25, the writer says this. He says, let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who had promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Let's consider how to encourage one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, when I think about this church, I think about so many different people that encourage me to love and good works in this church. I think of Rossi. I mean, that man, 
encourages me to encourage others like no one else. I think of CJ who just encourages me to serve without complaining. I think of Riley and when I'm with Riley how he gives me this passion for Jesus and for the lost. I think of my wife Charlotte and how she just encourages me to be like, a, just being with her encourages me to be like a more joyful and kind person. I think of Coyote and how when I'm with that brother, oh, I want to pray. I want to pray like Coyote as well, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think of how I'm with the Woodies and I just want to be hospitable to people because they encourage me, they stir me up. We need, brothers and sisters, to stir us up to love and good works. We need friends, Christian friends. Proverbs puts it this way. It says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Isn't that so true? We've not only been made friends with God himself, but God calls us into community where he uses friendships to form us. Form us into the image of his son. Let's just pause there a moment as we finish this point. I just want to ask you, who are your friends? Who are your friends? What are the primary voices that are moulding and shaping your life? Now, as a caveat, ultimately the work, yes, is God by his spirit, but through friendships and community, we have a means of grace. And I want, I, want, I want you just to ask a question. Are my friendships shaping me to be more like the world or to be more like Christ? Which is the primary influence? Well, not only our foundation, our formation, but lastly, our friendships. Really, I want to here address the main point in the sermon, which is how can I position myself to be a Christ exalting friend. We're going to do a quick survey of the book of Proverbs to really try and garner some wisdom on the the qualities of great friendships and friends. I've got three points here. I just want to say Tim Keller has got excellent material on this. Uh, You can listen to his message online on friendship. Um, I've borrowed some things from Tim. Excellent resource. um, If you ever uh, have the time to listen to it, let me encourage you to do that. Three things I want to draw your attention to. First is commitment. Proverbs 18.24 A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Isn't that beautiful? A man of many just acquaintances and companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that's even closer than a brother. A true friend is committed at all times. A true friend is there no matter what. Proverbs 17.17 17 puts it this way, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. What the, pro- what the writer of the Proverbs is saying is, you know what, family will be there when you're in crisis, of course, but they may not be there in peacetime. You, you might not even get along with your family. They might not even like, consider you to be a friend. You might just be like a, a, a fight waiting to happen, like dynamite waiting to be lit uh, when you're with your family. But... Friends are available in the good and the bad. You know, our culture finds this point about commitment so hard. You know, we have other priorities. You know, we can also just try and live like Facebook, like live like we can be friends with 1,338 people all at once. Multiple communi- uh, communities, multiple friendship groups, multiple church communities, all trying to maintain multiple friendships all at once. And I want to say, if you commit to too many you're going to fail because you're just a person. You know, I had a, a friend uh, I can remember uh, with 
that I, I went to college with, and without a lie, this friend set monthly goals with how many friends they were going to try and keep up with. Their monthly goal at one point was 40 friends a month they were going to try and meet with. Crazy. You will fail if you attempt to live like this. We, we are made for just a few friends. I think uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson says it so perfectly. He says, Our friendships hurry to short and poor conclusions because we have made them a texture of wine and dreams instead of the tough fibre of the human heart. We have aimed at swift and petty benefit to suck a sudden sweetness. We snatch at the slowest fruit in the whole garden of God, which many summers and many winters must ripen. We seek our friendship not sacredly, but with an adulterate passion which would appropriate him or her to ourselves in vain. Isn't that so true? We're a culture of convenience, aren't we? We're a culture that wants quick results and personal benefit. And so I want to pause and let us consider, are we committed to our friendships? Are we committed to our friendships beyond personal offence? Will you forgive? Do you have realistic expectations that friendships take time? Well, our primary context for sanctifying friendships is our church community, and especially our small groups. And I just want to put it to us this morning, if we miss uh, if we fail to make small groups uh, a priority, we really miss an opportunity that God has given us to build friendships where we can be known, where we can be committed. And I want to say to you, if you're someone here who rarely attends church or rarely attends a small group, I just want to say, and you're part of this church, I just want to say, don't miss the opportunity. It's not to guilt you into it, but to say, really, God has given this to us as an opportunity. Well, we can position ourselves as Christ's exalted friends by being committed but not only commitment, secondly, candidness, honesty, truthfulness, truth-telling. You know, we're all honest when we're alone, aren't we? We're all honest when we're by ourselves, but bring someone else into the equation, and that's where hypocrisy and lying and all manner of deceit begins, isn't it? When other people come in, and we've all got these fears and worries about what people think of us and worrying about damaging other people or being damaged or hurting relationships. And so we all, at different points, we all struggle to be honest. And, I, I mean, I wonder, had, have you ever had a relationship where you're just like, you're, you're treading on eggshells, you're always worried about what you're going to say to that other person in case you deeply offend them and just damage the relationship? Do you have friendships like that? I know, you know, I know I've got friendships like that. But the best relationships are where we can be completely honest without fear, where we can be candid. Proverbs 27, verse 6, puts it like this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. It's a paradox, isn't it? It's healing wounds versus destructive kisses. It's an image of, or it's a picture, a word picture of a friend who speaks the truth their friend needs to hear and love because they love this friend and they're willing to even risk the relationship in order to tell their friend the truth that they need to hear. Proverbs 27.9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Earnest counsel, that good intention, that loving counsel that, that wants to come and share the truth and help a friend. I think 
as a caveat, as a no. I mean, I think we need to position ourselves more to, to receive counsel than to give it. I know our culture is one that loves to speak our mind and, and just say what we think more than other cultures. But a person who looks at their friend in sin and though fearfully of the cost and the potential for hurt speaks, that is a friend who loves their friend, a friend who's willing to counsel and and share the truth they need to hear. Proverbs 29.5 says this. It says, A man who flatters his neighbor or friend, it's the same word, spreads a net for his feet. It's a man who flatters his friend, who says says dishonest things to puff him up, good about his friend without telling him the truth. The proverb, the writer of the proverb says, it's like you're laying a trap for your friend. Why? Because that friend is going to go and operate on the counsel you've, be, you've given him. He's going to believe what you're saying about him is true and you are laying a trap. You are laying something that's going to lead to his destruction because you're deceiving him. Are you honest with your friends about your struggles, your hopes, your concerns. Well, we can position ourselves as Christ's exalting friends by, by being candid, candidness. Well, lastly, care. Possibly the greatest of all these, care. I love Proverbs because they're so honest and practical and they'll say things that at times are just funny. Um, Along these lines, I was looking for things about care and listen to this, Proverbs 25, 17. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor or friend's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Proverbs 25, 20. Whoever sings songs, that's joyful songs, to a heavy heart, is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Proverbs 27, 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor, or that's friend, the same word again, with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. It's practical, isn't it? But it's about care. It's, it's saying, the writer of the Proverbs is saying, a friend doesn't overstay his welcome and just use his friend. A friend isn't insensitive and isn't going to just, you know, sing a happy, happy, joyful song to his friend who's in mourning. A friend is going to know his friend and isn't going to wake him up with songs of blessing as he's trying to sleep, saying, oh friend, I love you. You're a great friend. He's going to be like cursing to his friend. He's going to hate him. He's trying to sleep. There needs to be this, uh, this connectedness, this care. Someone who knows their friend and loves them and is trying to care for them. And to be honest, I mean, we all long for this, don't we? We all long for committed, candid, honest, caring friendships. But at the same time, there's real brokenness in our friendships, isn't there? There's real disappointment in our friendships. We, at times, we disappoint our friends. And at times, our friends disappoint us. I mean, ironically, you know, in preparing this message, I had a really hard conversation with a friend who basically articulated to me that they thought friendship with me isn't possible anymore. Um, friendships are hard and there's brokenness. But it's about care, isn't it? It takes us full circle back to Jesus Christ himself and our foundation. We're called to invite others in as we've been invited in by Jesus Christ himself. Jesus summarises it. In fact, we could summarise all of what we've been saying today with this. Jesus says himself, he says, greater love has 
no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends, that he resolved to love his friends. For those that are feeling crushed by considering good Christian friendships, I just want to encourage you, consider Christ our foundation, his commitment brought him to the world as a man. Though he saw our lives candidly, he wasn't deterred, but his care took him to the cross. He is our great foundation. He is our great example. He is our great helper. He is our great friend in all of this. Well, in summary, our friendships are founded on the great example of Christ who has made us his friends. We are formed by our friendships in community as we grow together to be like Christ. Our friendships are to be committed, they're to be candid, and they're to be caring. Would God give us grace to be Christ-exalting friends? Let's pray. Lord, this morning we thank you for your good word to us. That you, the King of glory, would be so merciful to us, would be so kind to us, that though we turned our back on you and hid from you, you didn't leave us, you didn't abandon us, but you pursued us. You sent your Son, our Lord Jesus, to be the greatest example of a friend for us to lay down his life for us on that cross, that scandalously, that amazingly, like that unbelievably, we could be friends with you, the King of glory, wicked sinners and rebels like us. Lord, we, are, we cannot describe how thankful we are for, for the cross, for your Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. Lord, we pray, help us, Lord, be Christ-exalting friends. Help us position ourselves to share some of the love in laying down our lives for our friends as you have shown to us and and may Christ be lifted up in this church through many, many, many Christ-exalting friendships to his praise and glory now and forever. Amen.